Courtside with Virtual Hardwood, it's the MLSC Podcast, episode number 414. Andrew with you once again. I am Andrew in the forum and Andrew NLSC on Twitter. My co-host is Derek. You know him in the forum as Deeper 3, and he is Deeper 384 on Twitter. Oh, I'm happy to be here. Um, however, I have bad news, Andrew. What's that? I received my PC copy of NBA Live 2004, and it has a crack on the disc. A disc-only version that I bought, so I knew what I was getting into, but they said that it was in great condition. And the way it came packaged was in this flimsy, like, cardboard, and it wasn't protected by anything. There was It wasn't in, like, a little plastic case. It wasn't in, like, a its own little CD case. It was just hanging out loose in this little cardboard casing, and... Um, as you know, there's two discs that come with NBA Live 2004. There's disc one, disc two, and disc one has a crack in it. So I'm not too happy about that. Not at all. Is that an, uh, an eBay purchase, that one? Um, that's actually straight off of Amazon. Ah, okay. Like a secondhand copy. It, it is, but if you're going to send something through the mail, like a disc, you've got to put it in something you got to put it in like a plastic case, something to like, to like protect it. But there was like nothing protecting this at all. Yeah, that, that's just not good shipping uh, methods, quite frankly. Funnily enough, the the copy of NBA Live 96 that, uh, that I bought for you, that will be heading your way very soon, uh, came in a very similar fashion. It was just really kind of popped in there in a little thin plastic sleeve, not even a plastic case, not even one of those thin jewel cases, just kind of like a plastic sleeve. And I thought, okay, is this been damaged in the post? So I popped it in and no, it installed and it's playing fine. So you will have a working copy of that at least uh, coming. But I was also looking at some other games that I got for bargain prices uh, at um, various points over the years. And I noticed a few that you might like in your collection. So I'll be chucking those in the box as well. I do actually have a copy of uh, Live 2004 if you want me to put that in there. Yeah, I mean, if you have an extra, that would be amazing because then at least I know that you're going to put it in something. I, I didn't even get the courtesy of a plastic sleeve. Like I said, it was just loose and ruined. So, I mean, that stinks too, because it, when I paid for it, it wasn't only like five bucks or anything. I actually had to pay probably around 20 to 25 for the game plus the uh, shipping and whatnot. So, huge bummer. Um, on the positive side of things, um, I did actually hook up the PlayStation 5 last night, um, bought a couple extra controllers for... You know, if my brothers and I all want to, you know, get on the same team or play against each other or whatnot, and uh, I will be downloading MJ Wizards roster tonight, so I am excited about that. I was going to say you, you have to get onto MJ Wizards roster with your brothers and play with some teams that have been fixed with their ratings and missing players and whatnot. And, and look at that Charles Barkley that he made. Look at that Reggie Miller. Very good for the creative player feature in that game because they really haven't made many improvements to the creative player feature over the last couple of years. I think that the jobs that were done on those were admirable. Uh, I love the creations of like J.R. Smith and whatnot that he did and that he posted in that thread because that J.R. Smith could pass for an in-game, like real cyberface. It's that good. It really, um, really was so, impressive, yeah. Yeah, I'm excited to download the roster and then go into a My NBA. And of course, people were talking about 2K22. Go into a My NBA, download the already pre-made courts for teams like the 66, 67, 76ers, the 92, 93 Suns, you know, rename the teams if they need to be renamed for uh, using some of the classic teams that he added, and then maybe jumping into a My NBA 
at least at the bare minimum with my brother Nick. So it should be a lot of fun. But speaking of fun, Derek, we've been connecting on Parsec a lot lately, as we often do. And we connected on Live 10, which that's something we haven't done for a while. We, we dusted that off. Always fun to revisit that game, but it has been a while. And too long, in fact. And we went back to our fantasy teams mode, uh, retro teams. So yeah, I was actually looking on YouTube and watching some of the games that we had played, you know, in the past on NBA Live 10 with makeshift classic teams and watching like our matchup with the 2005 Bulls and the 2005 Supersonics, etc. And the games looked so fun and it was bringing back some memories of how much fun we had with it last year. So I was like, yeah, I'm going to reach out to Andrew. Let's get a game together um, playing NBA Live 10 and revisit that. So we used the 0304 Celtics. I was the 0304 Celtics, and you were the 0304 Heat. And while we were both missing um, a couple key players, I was missing Walter McCarty, and you were missing Eddie Jones and whatnot, it was still a fun, loose experience. And that's what's fun about NBA Live 10. It's easy to jump into, and it's easy to just have you know, a really good time with. And I thought you played incredibly well, especially with Lamar Odom. You killed me with him, just like you did on NBA Live 2001. Wade, with his step-back fadeaways and his mid-range game and attacking the rim, you did really well with that. Um, You ended up pulling out the win. I tried to come back there with Paul Pierce, and he did hit a couple clutch threes in the fourth quarter. But um, just a really fun, loose experience, and it's nice that people can kind of enjoy that experience with us you know, when I make that video and you upload it to the NLSC YouTube. Oh, absolutely. And I'm so glad that you reached out and said, hey, let's play some Live 10 because it's overdue. It's, it's been a while. And we have a long list of makeshift classic teams that we can create in fantasy teams mode. So I was really glad to do that again. Uh, happy to pick up the win, obviously, but I was very concerned about Paul Pierce down the stretch. Uh, now, if you had Walter McCarty, I think he would have won because Walter McCarty killed me in Live 2001. I think it hurt me having Rafe LaFrance. I had to, because we were limited with the amount of players that we had, I had to put Rafe LaFrance at like power forward and Mark Blount at center. And I was like doubling up centers at power forward and center. And I wasn't able to stretch the floor like I would have been able to with Walter McCarty. And that version of Rafe LaFrance in that game is basically like retired Rafe LaFrance. I'm actually surprised his face is in the game. I think it's because he wasn't technically retired and he was like technically a free agent, but he wasn't signed. No, I, I, th- I think 2009 was his last year, so I think he's left over from that. Uh, Ricky Davis right. was, that was his last year, because he played that final year with the Clippers in 2010. So that's why he's in there. But right. again, he's at the end of his career. So a lot of players kind of at the end of the career. And conversely, I'm supposed to have young Dwayne Wade on the 2004 Heat, rookie Wade, but I've got prime Wade, so he was able to do some damage with him. You also had the great Odom, too. Oh, of like a really good version of Odom. That's the championship Lakers Odom. Um, but at the same time, I can't make any excuses because I still had some pieces. Um, you know, I still had Paul Pierce and Ricky Davis for supposedly the end of his career. Ricky Davis performed admirably and some nice dunks, nice step back fadeaway, etc. The people that really failed me were Chucky Atkins and Marcus Spanks who gave me nothing on offense or defense. They couldn't hit a damn shot. And um, I think that was probably the biggest difference maker, not having Walter McCarty and then Chucky Atkins and Marcus Banks just stinking it up. Well, Rafer Alston with the clutch and one down the stretch for me. That was huge. Good animation that led into that too. And the commentary around it was fantastic. Um, I did want to say too, on the, uh, you know, now that we're talking about, you know, some of the newer NBA lives, I say newer for NBA live 10 because, it is newer than, say, NBA Live 2004. Yeah. But 
I connected with Brent Lane on um, through Parsec on NBA Live 15. And he was the Hawks and I was the Trailblazers. And I got to tell you something. I didn't have a lot of fun with NBA Live 15 against the computer. Like I, I, you know, when I was playing that, when it first came out, I was pretty blah about it. Still preferred NBA 2K15, et cetera. But when you play NBA Live 15 head to head against somebody, it's just an entirely different experience. And we had such a blast. I wish I could show you the conversation that we had on Discord during the game and after the game about the experience. And that game, the best thing about it and what makes it more fun for me right now to pick up than NBA Live 19 is it's it feels like there's like no canned animations in that game. Like you feel like you really have control over the action. I see what they're try- they were trying to do with that title. They were trying to give the user as much control as possible and not put them always in these canned animations. So it was a very realistic feeling game that I played against Brent and he played incredibly well with Teague and Corver and Horford and whatnot. Horford had 14 points and 14 rebounds. You know, we were both, you know, run getting out on the break and, you know, either throwing alley-oops or finding the open man and finishing realistically, you know, pill players coming off screens and, and hitting threes and the shooting feels good in that game overall, you know, bo- both of us making post moves, uh, me, you know, doing so a lot of damage down there with Chris Kamen and whatnot. But, what a breath of fresh air it was to play NBA Live 15, even over playing NBA 2K22. And you might think that's crazy, but I want you to think about the lack of control that you sometimes have with NBA 2K22, with all the suction issues, with all the, you know, the predetermined happenings on the court and all the canned animations. It was definitely a breath of fresh air. And he actually said the same thing. Brent was like, what a breath of fresh air to play this game. And it, and like he said, it, it felt a lot more realistic to him well i had a, a pretty good time with live 15 back in the day playing mostly ultimate team so against the cpu but i do think that's one of those games that it works even better head to head because it does have some ai issues so take that out of the equation just have two players who know what they're doing going head to head and it's, it's a lot of fun i know what you mean about it feeling a bit more organic as well i love the steals in that game the steals felt very good especially compared to the press steal to foul that we've seen in both live and 2k in subsequent years one thing I do remember from Live 15, though, is getting a lot of four-point plays with J.R. Smith in Ultimate Team. Yeah, so there were no four-point plays in the game that we played. But as far as, like, poke steals and the way steals feel in general, they feel awesome in Live 15. As far as, like, jumping into the passing lanes, lanes and intercepting passes. Um, but also just, like, poke steals. I got one with Lillard as he was dribbling up the court. I timed it right, and I did a poke steal. Didn't feel canned at all. Um, and then went down and threw it down on the other end. Um I think that NBA Live 15 and 2K14 both have very strong overall defensive mechanics that I enjoy. That was the next game that we actually revisited. Uh, we played on NBA 2K14 Xbox One um, using Parsec. And that experience was not as realistic. There's actually quite a bit more skating in NBA 2K14 than Live 15 and a little bit more canned animations and whatnot, but we still had a really good time on that. But no, I can definitely, like I've said so many times on the podcast, good defensive mechanics, good feeling organic defensive mechanics are vital for enjoying a game, you know, playing a game on the defensive end and playing a game in general for um, basketball video games. And I think that NBA Live 15 did a good job with that. No, they really are. The importance of having that, being able to play at both ends. Because you go back to the early days of basketball gaming, 
sometimes it wasn't really viable to make defensive plays outside of unless you got the steal or unless you got the block. And even then, it was difficult to do. And I remember talking about it with Josh and Dave when we brought them on the show from Neymar Game Over, Basketball Classics, of course. And we were talking about the hallmarks of bad video game design, bad basketball video game design. And one of the things we pointed out and agreed on was bad games, you can't play defense. 100%. Um, that's how we felt on 2K18, remember? Yeah. We felt like you can't really play defense on it because of the blow-bys and um, because of all the canned animations. I think that was one of the problems, actually, on NBA 2K13, uh, the fact that you couldn't block dunks, right? 2K13 was a very strong basketball game, but its biggest weakness was actually trying to play defense. That's why on NBA 2K13, you can use a guy like Alonzo G and average 50 points per game pretty easily um, because they have the, you know, it's pretty easy to blow by your defender on the on the perimeter. And then once you're, you know, downhill towards the hoop and you push the shoot button, the chances of them, of you dunking on them or them automatically making you adjust your shot to make it a good shot at the rim, the chances of those things happening are so high that it makes it frustrating to play defense sometimes on 2K13. Again, they were able to get away with it because I think NBA 2K13 overall is a basketball game. As far as the overall feel, I think it's a, in the, it's it's a plus. Like, it's good. But that was definitely a frustrating aspect of 2K13. Once you get up for the dunks, unless you're missing a dunk with a player, yeah, you're, you're getting that to go in, which which I put to very effective use in my, my career back then in 2K13. First year I got into that mode, of course. The other thing with 2K13 was the offensive exploit with signature skills, specifically the acrobat, I almost said acrobat badge, acrobat um, signature skill, where you could double tap shoot on the perimeter and do an adjusted kind of running shot and make a three-pointer every single time when you did that. I, I made 23s in a game just doing that. And, and it's not very fun. I don't like to do it, but I just wanted to test it out once just to see how that exploit worked. And effectively, that's the answer to that question. Yeah, that's how I um, kind of felt, too, with NBA Live 06, because even though it was a very strong release, that's how I felt with the scoring freestyle superstar ability, where your player, you use it, and your player just shoots this kind of awkward-looking shot, and it has such a high chance of going in, it almost feels cheating. Oh, the the outside score of freestyle superstars moveset, actually, ironically, was even more effective in the paint, because outside scorers also had the basically was kind of like your wing player your athletic wing was really the kind of thing they were going for with outside scorer and you could do all kinds of up and under layups and behind the back uh, moves before the layup and they would go in 90 percent of the time in fact you knew when the comeback logic was kicking in because you couldn't do it against the cpu normally you could spam that all day and score 100 points with whoever ben gordon for example just to put it out there but when the comeback logic was kicking in suddenly all those guaranteed baskets would start missing. So you knew when the comeback logic was starting to really get uh, aggressive with you. But yes, that was very OP, very cheesy. Great move that they made in 06 was the ability to, obviously the ability to switch Freestyle Superstars movesets, but also to disable them completely. So you could still play a game that was very similar to Life 2005, but with a few enhancements. NBA Live 06, the the beginning of builds. Damn you, NBA Live. (laughs) Yeah, I suppose so, yeah. (laughs) You're really good but no, seriously. So I, I connected with uh, 2K on 2K14 with Brent as well, and um, like I said, w- what a unbelievable thing to be able to connect on Parsec play any Xbox One game with somebody, huh? 
we're using the Xbox One console companion in combination with the with Parsec, and it's just working beautifully. And so people are connecting with me, and we're playing, you know, games like NBA Live 15 and 2K14, etc. But we we connected on there, and he was using the Lakers, and I was using the Thunder. It was kind of a duel between Kobe and and Kevin Durant, and I think they both put up roughly 27, 28 points. But he was down by one, with you know 10 seconds left. And he had Kobe in the post and I went over to double him and he kicked it out to Xavier Henry and missed a three and lesson learned. We both talked about it in the chat. You know, I know Kobe's double team there, but you got to take the shot with Kobe. Oh, yeah. you should have faded over the opposite shoulder. Um, so he ended up losing that game by one. But we actually had a really fun experience on that. We were both a little bit rusty and going from NBA Live 15 to NBA 2K14 is quite the adjustment. Oh yeah. Let's be honest. They, <laughs> very feel, they, they very play different. The, yeah. Very different feel. Very different feel. They play they play almost entirely different. But we ended up having a really good second half experience on that game and I hope to connect with him again and others on more Xbox One games. I'm envious of that because I've been enjoying 2K14 recently as we talked about last week with my career but also with some other modes as well uh, the 5v5 modes well my career is 5v5 but you know what i mean non-player lock and we tried to connect on that unfortunately my connection just didn't want to play along that's australian internet but how good is on fire edition over parsec i mean we played that so much Uh, that's another one we need to get back into yeah we, we we have to play that soon actually we we should play it either this weekend or next week and you know post some highlights and whatnot yeah i don't understand that with you not having a great experience on a game like nba 2k14 xbox one using parsec because people like brent and others like sticky fingers and and whatnot have connected with me and the live king on xbox one games with that exact same setup that i'm trying to connect with you on and they've had an amazing experience i even had a user say they had no lag so I think it comes down to your internet yeah, definitely. and it doesn't always, and it just doesn't always work the way that we want it to, but I, I still have hope. I, I think we might be able to figure something out in the settings. Um, maybe the Apple get some upgrades that help your situation. Um, who knows, but I, I still have hope. Well, who knows? They might improve Australian internet at some point in the next 10 years, but, uh, but no, we should keep trying. They're constantly updating Parsec. It is such a, a tremendous app. It's gotten a lot better since we started. And of course, I've upgraded to Windows 10 long overdue as well uh, last year. And that's facilitated me hosting sometimes, obviously, but also it's, it's given me better performance all around. I uh, hosted a game of Live 2003 with you, Live 2003 PC. Yeah, we were kicking the computer's butt on Rookie there. But I'll tell you something. You put that game on All-Star and they don't miss. They're not they messing around. Miss. They're not messing and, around. And you want to talk about brick wall defense? NBA Live 2003 might be the king of brick wall defense. You you can cross over, you can try to do a first step, and they are brick walling you whichever direction you try to go in. The only reason you were able to get a couple baskets there with Jordan is because you were flailing on your stick. <laughs> and, like, you know, crossing over a couple times and then doing a spin move, like, completely unnatural looking, but it worked. Cheesy. And you were getting into the seams. Yeah, che- you were basically cheesing the buttons, let's put it that way. Um, and it was working out, but, man... That game is so fun and loose on rookie and starter. But when you bump that up to all-star, it's like, what is happening here? You can't even, you can't even move. And I want to bring this up because VF Baller, who's a friend of the show, he really appreciates our, con- uh, our content. We appreciate him. He made a post. Somebody was talking to him about 
Madden. They were saying, you know, what difficulty do you play on Madden? And his response was, I will play all Madden, but when you play all Madden, it's absolutely unrealistic. Like, and he used an example of a bad defensive team. He's like, they make, it makes a bad defensive team look like an elite defensive team. And that's not a realistic, right? So I know that there's a lot of pride around playing on the hardest level. My brother and I are like that. We're like, Oh, we got to play on hall of fame or, Oh, we got to play on superstar and whatnot. But I implore our, our listeners to play on the level that you have the most fun on. And if you're looking for a realistic experience play on the level that gives you the most realistic experience don't worry about you know being stubborn and saying well i have to beat it on the hardest level i'll have to play it on the hardest level no that's tremendous advice because i do think a lot of people get over the years very elitist about that like oh you're, you're just playing on rookie or starter well that's if that's your skill level if that's what you enjoy fair enough now if you're gonna, if you're beating up on the cpu on rookie and calling yourself the best player in the world Okay, you know, pop the brakes on that one. But I absolutely agree. And as you said, if realism is what you're after, sometimes it's better to go maybe a, a level down from the top and just make some slider adjustments. Right. The gentleman on Twitter named Dion, he was like, well, you know, what sliders do you use? He was like, you know, what, what sliders do you use for your gameplay and all that stuff? And I said, my sliders might not be great for you. Here's what I use and here's what I put the game speed on. But I implore you to basically use a slider set and choose uh, a base difficulty that gives you the most enjoyment out of the game, period. That is it, right? People want to make these adjustments or get all of these sim, sat sim stats and all of that stuff, and uh, they want it to look a certain way, etc. But I just want people to do what is going to be the most fun for them. And if that means playing it on All-Star, if that means playing it on Starter, if that means playing it on Hall of Fame, if, you do what, if, if that's the best experience for you, do it but i did appreciate vf baller for that and it shows why we have a kind of a connection with vf baller right he looks at these games kind of like we do I, I appreciated that interaction because he's like i can play it on all madden i can beat it on all madden but i don't play all madden because it's unrealistic and it's not fun so play the way you want i think it's one of those things uh, another stigma that needs to be broken down within sports gaming especially that that again it, it's supposed to be about fun and that whole elitist attitude that's made the the online scene very toxic. Let's not bring that into the offline scene as well, people. Yeah, exactly. Um, the other thing, too, is, you know, whenever we connect on games on Parsec, and whenever I connect with other people, normally what I do is I keep it either on the default difficulty or I'll raise it one level up. Why? Because if there is any hint of input lag, I want somebody to be able to have that leeway, right? And it works. Whether it's it works me, so much better doing that, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Whether it's me connecting with somebody or them connecting with me. And I think that's worked out really well for us. I think it's made that our NBA Live 10 games incredibly memorable, more memorable than it would have been if we had played it on the hardest level. I think that it made me and Brent Lane's game, even though he didn't really have any lag, um, on NBA Live 15, we played it on the default level. It made that game incredibly fun and very realistic as well um but when you and i tried to play nba live 2003 on all-star and that brick wall defense combined with me you you hosting so me having a few lag spikes in there it just wasn't going to work and i could tell that even you who has no lag as the host you couldn't even do anything sometimes because that brick wall defense is absolutely ridiculous 
Plus, that was the year they brought in the Take Charge button, which the CPU takes advantage of that as well. And you could see them getting a lot of cheap charging calls, which yeah, which really went against us more often than them, funnily enough. Which is, again, where some of that challenge comes from, from the CPU, is that it's not, not playing fair. So are you going to have fun and a fair challenge, or are you just going to have the bragging rights, that pride, as you said, and beat the game on the toughest level? If that's fun for you, by all means, do it. But if not, yeah, don't be afraid. Don't care about what other people think about turning it down and to a, to a more acceptable, fun level of difficulty or, or gameplay settings or whatever. To your point about NBA Live 10, I mean, we're going head-to-head, so even w- when we're playing on the easier difficulty level, I still have to contend with your abilities as a, as a gamer, So and with, on all the experience you have with playing basketball games. So you still have to contend with the difficulty there. It may not be as challenging against the CPU, but with you being able to hit as many shots as, as I can on that easier level... It's that's where the challenge comes in. But look how well it worked out for our Live 10 tournament and how much fun people had with that. Yeah, that worked out perfect. Oh, I wanted to say, too, about NBA Jam on Fire Edition. So we played on Rookie for the first round of the NBA Jam on Fire Edition tournament. And I actually think Rookie is the best level for head-to-head. We upped it to medium for the semifinals, and that's worked out. But on Rookie, you have to do the most as a user, right? Because you don't have the computer bailing you out as often as on the higher levels on that game. So like, for example, when I was watching 707 series, he's incredibly skilled at the game. It's not his fault that this was happening, but he didn't even have to use David Robinson on defense. The computer could make all the difference in the world on defense because off the ball, the computer is just constantly pushing the players and getting blocks and all of that stuff. So basically what happens is is it takes control away from the user. But if he was on rookie, he'd be the one who'd be having to switch to David Robinson and do the pushing and make up for David Robinson, not going for the block. He'd have to switch to David Robinson and go for the block. So I actually think that for true skill gap and true competition on a game like NBA jam on fire edition and for total control, I actually think head to head is best on rookie. Interesting. Interesting. And that certainly makes a, a lot of sense. But uh, but speaking of the On Fire Edition tournament, uh, you've been playing some games of that and had a, a bit of a rough game one. Heartbreaking loss for me. Um, I'm up 2-1 in the series. I won games. I bounced back and won games two and three. It's the best of seven, uh, so I'm up 2-1. But in game one, just such a back and forth. Tech Mobile is a very skilled player at NBA Jam On Fire Edition. He's very good. Uh, offensively and defensively, so I knew I had my hands full coming into the series. Back and forth all through game one, I was up by one with roughly 10 seconds left, and I I have the ball, and I'm holding the ball in the backcourt with Bill Walton, and instead of staying in the backcourt with Bill Walton and letting the time run out, like zigzagging in the backcourt, I don't know, I had a brain fart, not sure what it was, I ran into the front court, and he ended up stealing the ball from me and hitting a last-second buzzer beater game winner with magic johnson and it was a layup and so that was tragic on my part not tragic johnson because he got the game winner but it's tragic on my part and it's funny how tecmo how how into this tech mobile gets because we had to take like a break like a five minute break after game one because he said he needed his heart rate to go down (laughs) I i love that yeah, that's how competitive these games get. Um, I did bounce back, and we had two really close games in games two and three, and I ended up winning those. But it's tough to contend with Magic Johnson and Kobe Bryant um, because in the game, 
they can both shoot incredibly well. So he has two shooting threats and both have a big steal. So they're, they're both very good at picking my pocket or knocking me over and getting the ball and whatnot. So um, it's been a really good series and I think it could go the distance. Um, he's that good of a player as well. So um, we'll see what happens, but still though 33 is waiting in the finals <laughs> and um you know, still feeling good about his epic seven game series that he won. Uh, I just think it's been a great tournament and I can't wait for our March Madness tournament. Absolutely. And, you know, as heartbreaking as that was, a, a great entry in the top 10 this week. Yeah. And speaking of the top 10, I, I thought it was another really strong week and we had a few new people in there this week. Uh, I am Brent Lane with an NBA Live 15 highlight uh, block off of, uh, a block on a layup and then an alley oop to Al Horford. And we had a great highlight as well from NBA 2K22 from LOV on Twitter at Sweet Jones underscore OTF, um, who's actually Miles Bridges' cousin. Wow. Which I thought. I did not know that. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. Really cool. Yeah. Um, who plays for the Hornets. And the highlight, of course, from NBA 2K22 was of Miles Bridges. And um, that highlight, we act- I actually put two because it had no commentary with it i smoothed it out and it's a miles bridges dunk but i put the eric collins commentary the official charlotte hornets announcer to it and man did that come out exciting it's the perfect audio for that dunk and he was really appreciative of that so thank you for the submission and uh and whatnot i think it, it looked really good in the top 10 but yeah you know a good variety of games again um uh, a really good number one play from winner 77 from the NLSC. And you had your game winner with Jamal Crawford there with audio you put in. And I thought that came out great. I think that was number five. Um, yeah. I, I thought it was a really good top 10 this week. It's, it's always a great time. Always pumps you up to play. And yeah, I, I'm really enjoying putting that audio as well. You've got me into that habit now of putting that audio, try, trying to find a great clip and putting that to one when it hasn't been captured with the, with the commentary and the audio uh, love seeing that variety. Love seeing some of the familiar faces, the familiar names in the top 10, but also we're getting a lot of new people jumping on all the time as well. So great submissions every week. King J. Mace was in there again, and he's doing a lot for the basketball gaming community right now, connecting with people on Parsec and using that elite street league mod. mod. So um, definitely appreciative of him. Um, he's doing a lot of unique things with his content on YouTube. So I implore people to check that out. I think that's the third time I've used implore on this podcast i've never used it before that's word, of the word, week. Of the word of the week yeah yeah but yeah check out king j mace's channel um he's bringing like stretch monroe back and putting him on the court against um you know regular nba teams or streetball legends and whatnot and he's you know, like doing wnba videos as well putting the wnba players on the street and playing nba players etc he's doing a lot of unique content and his, his commentary is very good on his content and people seem to really connect with him. So make sure to check out King J Mace's channel. Um, I believe he had the number three highlight, um, number three or four highlight this week with an under the legs dunk on blacktop on NBA 2K22. Definitely check out what he's doing. And yeah, I love to see that, that creativity in modding. That, that's always great to see and setting up those, those uh, fun scenarios, whether it's minimalist modding or whether it's in-depth like he's doing. It it's always just makes such great uh, great stuff to watch and to, and to play with. So definitely check it out and and keep those submissions coming for the the top ten. I do have a dunk from my, uh, from my my career that, uh, that that might make it into a future countdown. Added some audio that I thought fit very well, but uh, that that dunk felt very good to do, Derek, in the game. You're getting really into the audio. 
I am <laughs> uh, uh, into adding the audio. And I think that's really cool. And I, and I, I would love to see more people do that. You know, people that take these highlights and they don't have audio because of the limitations of the console, um, you know, before sending them over, maybe put some, use a, an editing program and put some audio over it. Or, or take out terrible audio like live 19, get rid of Jay Williams. Right. Exactly. Jay Williams is the worst. He might be the worst. Actually, Doris Burke is pretty annoying now, too. Mm. I think Doris Burke and Jay Williams might be my worst hated right now to listen to in basketball video games. Um, and I really hope Jay Williams doesn't come back on the next NBA Live if they return, uh, because they can do better than that. And that was one cool thing about NBA Live 15 was Mike Breen and Jeff Van Gundy. And sure, Jeff Van Gundy can be a little over the top sometimes, but it's really exciting listening to them. And it sounds like a real broadcast. You know what I mean? Um, so I, I really love the commentary and the presentation in NBA Live 15. I mean, it's the A-team for NBA on ESPN and NBA on ABC, so it, it should be them. Oh, yeah, 100%. I think 2K has done a good job overall, even though I can find, I do find the commentary pretty annoying at times. Um, they have, they've done a good job of retaining Harlan. You know what I mean? Retaining Harlan and retaining Burke and, you know, retaining David Aldridge on the sidelines and um, all of these people that they use, you know, the Steve Smiths and the Brent Berries and all of that stuff in that commentary. Um, they've done a good job of basically keeping the big names in the commentary. Poor, uh, poor David Aldridge. Everybody skips him. They do. And so do I. Yeah. Let's be honest. I, yeah. I, I skip him. Every <laughs> Thanks, time. D.A. So as we move towards the mailbag segment this week, Derek, there was a tweet that you brought to my attention that uh, led to this week's mailbag prompt. It's from RetroFaith at RetroFaith1 on Twitter. She's a gaming journalist and a retro game shop owner and put out a tweet that said, what happened to video games? I've never seen so much excitement for 10-year-old games getting re-released again. I remember when game announcements were always something new, something fresh. I feel sad that gamers' expectations are so low these days. Maybe I am just old. And I think you and I can really relate to that. I love the tweet. Absolutely loved it because it definitely highlights, I think, a problem in video gaming in general, not just basketball video games, but video gaming in general, where there's definitely a lack of excitement for new releases and new content. Um, a lot of you know, MMORPGs and RPGs are kind of like running together now. They're lacking, you know, they're they're lacking d deep stories or relatable characters. Um, they're lacking uh, uniqueness. There, a lot of the the mechanics kind of just like run in together. Um, same thing with a lot of um, new adventure games and whatnot, um, and sports games. You know, we don't have as many options as we used to. Um, people feel like the gameplay on games like Madden and games like NBA 2K has kind of gotten old and stale and they're just kind of expecting quote unquote roster updates every year. So um, I think that 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 prompted me to say, hey, let's ask the community, do you still get as excited as you used to about basketball video game releases? And what was the last game that you were truly excited about to be released? And we got a lot of responses to this. We, we did. It was fantastic. But my quick thoughts on that matter, I think it speaks volumes that the the games that people are more excited about, re-releases and remakes, and they're all from a time before microtransactions really took off. And look, I know that's beating a dead horse, and people know recurrent revenue mechanics are the bane of modern gaming. We know that. We've said that so many times before. 
But this is further proof, is that it's going back to these concepts when the main aim of games was to be creative and to create art and to create a fun experience on the sticks or the keyboard and mouse, you know, whatever game, whatever genre it is and whatever controller, whatever method of control you're using. But I think that really does speak to how games used to be about the fun. And certainly it was always a business and microtransactions aren't that new. They've been around for probably about 10 years now, really, or, or longer. And, and DLC and things like that and expansion packs and pre-order bonuses. But they were dominating. Right, but they weren't dominating Correct. the space. Exactly. The they, were, they were there, like, like we talked about, NBA 2K17. Sure, there was the virtual currency, right? There was like still that. There were still some little, you know, little gambling mechanics in there, but it wasn't dominating the game and it wasn't dominating the advertising and and there wasn't all of this stuff hidden behind paywalls it's kicked into overdrive absolutely that that is the the difference and by bringing those games back of course you have the problem of then adding recurrent review mechanics to these old games these these remakes of these classics but once again it just speaks volumes of how the philosophy of game design has changed over the past 10 years or so and yet we don't have that excitement that we that we had although some people still do which is which i kind of envy actually but to that point, you did put out that prompt. You still get excited as you used to about possible video game releases. Uh, what release are you most excited about? So with that in mind, let's open up the mailbag. To the mailman, the bump face. What an unbelievable dunk. And as you said, Derek, a lot of great responses this week. Uh, I, th- I think this really resonated with people. Yeah, well, I used an example in there um, of how my brother, he was super excited for NBA 2K13 to be released. So he waited in line at a midnight release um, to get the game, and he waited for quite a while. I just remember our excitement the first time we popped in NBA 2K13, NBA 2K12, NBA 2K11, NBA 2K10, you know, 2K8, um, Live 06. I remember the excitement of us getting our, you know, between all the commercials that we saw leading up to it, like, oh my God, we got to get that game, um, to the trip to the store to go get it, how excited we were on that trip. Um, then to finally get our hands on it and put it in the console or put it in the PC, etc. It was a super exciting time. So that's, um, it, it, the question definitely resonated with a lot of the community so i know that you have all those responses in front of you and i do wonder sometimes just quickly before we get we get to the first response you know that's kind of the same time that i look back at the maybe the peak or the the final days of the peak of my excitement and i do wonder that was the final years of my 20s and i I wonder if being a jaded 30 something has got something to do with that i know a lot of it has to do with the gaming industry itself but it kind of gets to that point where that that uh, that excitement, that childhood heart excitement, isn't always there these days. It's possible. It's possible that that could have something to do with it. I do think that we had all different ages in the response. True. In the response, and that everybody but maybe one or two people were all feeling the same. That they don't get as excited about the games anymore. That you know, there's only one game, and they feel like you know. It's more like a roster update every year. Uh, I think that a lot of people, and we've seen the negative reaction towards the recent 2Ks and whatnot from a lot of people. And, and what it is, I think, um, and you've read Reddit threads about this, etc., is I think that a lot of people just feel like the game is too microtransaction focused and at the same time that the gameplay has gotten kind of stale. That definitely seems to be a recurring theme with the responses. And uh, speaking of which, let's get right to them. And this comes from Midwest King underscore 100 on Twitter. For me, it was 2K11. When I heard that they reached an agreement to acquire the license to play as Michael Jordan, virtually made me want to buy the game day one. 
Today I don't get as excited as I used to because I feel like they don't show as much effort like they used to in regards to authenticity of how a basketball video game is supposed to play like. Also, the lack of attention to classic teams, or at least to add new teams, is alarming. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And I remember with 2K11, I was still trying to get that. Uh, I was still trying to make that transition from live to 2K at that time. Still sticking with live PC and updating uh, live 06 PC. Uh, 2K, of course, didn't have the right stick dribbling yet. It still didn't feel very accessible to me, as I've talked about on so many occasions before. But 2K11, when I saw that, and I saw Michael Jordan was going to be in the game like that, and the the Jordan Challenge. That certainly piqued my interest and, and really got me to pay more attention to 2K when I was... I was covering it for the site, Derek, but at the same time, I was still very much a live gamer at heart. But that started, that really did turn my head. Those are all great points. I think we can agree with every single point yep. that he made, uh, especially the lack of attention to detail, um, you know, as far as basketball goes. And I think also what he means is just like the focus on NBA basketball and the players and teams in general like for example if charles barkley or reggie miller signed on with 2k you would be like oh that's cool we're gonna get charles barkley and reggie miller but you know that the gameplay in between the lines it's probably not going to satisfy you especially if it's similar to what was in nba 2k 22 if you don't enjoy that title right it's still going to be that stale gameplay so it's not something that's going to be fresh to accompany charles barkley and reggie miller signing on with the game so I, I i definitely feel like instead of focusing on true simulation basketball five on five between the lines gameplay it's turned into kind of a canimation fest and at the same time it's the gameplay is now so tailored to that locked on player experience to that my career park slash experience um that that's why you know it's really hard to get excited for these new 2k titles the great thing about NBA 2K22 is that it technically does still cater to everybody. You've still got my NBA or my league in, in current gen, prior gen, whatever, and you've got all the online modes. You've got a lot of offline modes. You've got my team, so you can find something to play if you can get into the gameplay as of 2K22. But if you look at the promotion of it and the hype and what they're also talking about on Twitter and, and their other socials post-release. It's, you can see what they're focused on, and that doesn't appeal to a lot of old heads, I suppose, like us, but also anybody who doesn't really like Park. Absolutely. Yeah, and remember all the exciting advertising that was taking place before 2K11 came out? Oh, yeah. We were getting commercials constantly for it. It was such a huge deal. We were seeing it talked about in magazines. Um, it was on the internet, all of that stuff. Like, we, It was just so much hype. Um, and they did such a good job of hyping that up. And I talked about that, about the the old NBA live releases. And it's what makes me so angry with EA Sports over the last few years that they actually did have releases. Um, they did such a poor job overall of marketing some of their recent releases. If you go back and you look at the early 2000s and mid 2000s, there were commercials constantly for those games, pumping you up, putting NBA live in your brain and people in your house's brain, all of that stuff like it was basically like constant advertising saying, you got to get this game. This is the things we're adding to the game, you know, putting the, the athletes like Kevin Garnett and Tim Duncan out there um, for you to get excited about it. I just don't see it as much today. I just don't see the, the, the strong advertising like we used to have. And those commercials, like you said, you've got the NBA players playing the games. You've got all kinds of NBA footage. The OMG trailer has not been surpassed by 
anything that's come in the years past. I mean, Mementos trailers are always nice, but I think that OMG trailer, as far as that punch, and of course that was all NBA-based. So that that is what sells the games ultimately, the NBA. We've said that before, and it remains as true today as it always has been. So those commercials were fantastic. We don't see that as much. We don't see as much hype for the NBA post-release. You know, it, it's there, but not to the same extent as it used to be. Right, and he, he brought up, like, authentic, um, like, NBA. So we talked about how they've really rushed the classic teams, right? Spreadsheet, copy and paste, you know, copied signatures over, etc. And I think that's part of the problem, is a lot of people want to go in there and use these players and for them to be well-made and to play similar to their real-life counterpart on the floor. And I think that sometimes they do okay with that with the current teams. Um, sometimes they still miss on that as well. Um, but they certainly miss on that part today with the classic content, with the all-time teams, with the classic teams, etc. It's rushed, it's low priority, and that's incredibly easy to see. Question for you before we move on to the next response. If they were to add Reggie Miller in 2K23, whose uh, who's copy and paste ratings and animations do you think he'd have? <laughs> um, that's funny. His uh, Re Reggie Miller's shot is incredibly unique. Um, I feel like they would botch it right out of the gate. Um, they may have to give him his own special release, so they'd have to like create one. I don't know if they'd want to bring him into studio to do motion capture, etc., if he'd be willing to do that. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think that they would make him... I don't know, maybe like a Kyle Korver type. He's just got Kyle Korver or Ray, or Ray Allen, maybe? Yeah, maybe like close to Ray. A mixture between like Ray Allen and Kyle Korver. And would it surprise you to like pop in NBA 2K23, boot up, look at Reggie Miller's tendencies and then Ray Allen's tendencies and see that they're almost identical? Not at all. They probably wouldn't, or, or identical, period. But no, um, I'm not sure. Like the same thing with Charles Barkley. Like Charles Barkley is a very unique player. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they did a lot of copy and paste with like, I don't know, maybe like a guy like Zion Williamson, um, even though Zion Williamson and Barkley actually don't play alike, to be completely honest with you. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. I don't trust the people at 2K to know what they're doing as far as making the classic teams accurate. I don't think they have the right minds on that project, to be honest with you. It certainly leaves a lot to be uh, to be desired in recent years, for sure. And in fact, going back even to 2K16, when they had the supposed uh, Hall of Fame rating scale, kind of, uh, kind of oversold that. But uh, next up is Roger Ward at RA Triple J Triple Eight. Of course, Roger and Nate on the show a few weeks back, friends of the show. Uh, believe it or not, I was really pumped for the release of NBA Live 2001, followed by 06. I can understand that. Big surprise. Yeah, big surprise on Live 2001, Roger. Yeah. Yeah, Live 2006, they had mentioned on the podcast that they, they had been revisiting that and played a few games and whatnot. I think that NBA Live 06, their advertising for that game was absolutely top-notch. I remember all the commercials for that game. I remember the, the talk about freestyle superstars, all of that stuff. And even though they were moving on to next-gen, there was still a ton of advertising for that PS2 version. And I think that that's going to be something that they really need a good team in place for when NBA Live returns. I do think they're going to return. They need a strong marketing team, and they need to market the NBA side of the game, and they really need to show off gameplay in the right manner, etc., like they did in the past. 
It is funny, and I, I brought this up when we were talking to Nate and Roger on the show, that 2001 was such a controversial release in our community, and a lot of people didn't like it for PC back then. And yet you and I have gone back and revisited it, and I feel pretty good about it. And I remember being quite critical of it, and I still have my criticisms of it that I stand by from back in the day and things that I've noticed since. But I've also... And maybe it's looking at it with fresh eyes, obviously, and and no more expectations because it's an old game. I have newer games that I, I like if I want to play something newer, so there's no pressure on it. I do think in many respects it was a... A solid follow-up to Live 2000. I think 2000 is the superior game across the board. Again, 2001 was hampered a little bit by that switch to a new code base, but 2001 still holds up pretty well. It's a fun retro gaming experience these days, at the very least. And 06 is one of my favorites as well. I talk about disappointment with 2001, but I do remember that there was a lot of hype and speculation at the time. Live was obviously in its golden era or coming off it, and it was still the brand. It was still the top brand, and certainly the one that was coming out on all the platforms, because 2K was getting a lot of buzz after the, that first NBA 2K, but again, it was a Dreamcast exclusive, so not everybody could really enjoy that. So there, there was definitely buzz before 2001, so I definitely understand that, but it's interesting that uh, that it, it is such a favorite of Nate and Roger, but in our community, it was uh, very controversial. Same reasons I enjoyed vis- revisiting NBA Live 15 are the same reasons I enjoyed um, revisiting NBA Live 2001, um, because it's that control, right? Yeah. Live 2001 doesn't have very many canned animations, neither does Live 15. I also really want Roger and Nate to get on Parsec. So I got to um, direct them to that Parsec tutorial I made. Uh, and I want them to connect with me on a game like NBA Live 15. Because knowing the way they like to play the games, I think they would both have an absolute blast connecting and playing that and hell you know what i like those guys enough where i would just host and watch them play against each other using my (laughs) xbox one i would do that for you guys so um i guess stay tuned for that because i think i'll be able to get them on it and next up is nate stasho at nate stasho on twitter and this actually goes back to your story about your brother and the midnight release uh says i waited in line for midnight release of call of duty black ops but never an nba game though uh, Life 2005 as a kid looked so awesome, went from 01 to 04, and couldn't wait for 05 after I saw the commercials. Again, the hype that those commercials created, the quality of the game at the time that was... And people can look back at now and say, oh, those were primitive, but they were cutting edge at the time. And they hold up. They hold up a lot better than people think. Uh, some great games there, obviously. But but yeah, uh, Nate never waiting in line for, a, uh, for an NBA game. Well, Live 2005, Live 2004, those games at the time for NBA Live, they screamed NBA, right? Yep. They screamed NBA action. They promoted the games the right way. Uh, they promoted the athletes the right way, and they put the tender love and care into the ratings and everything else. Um, that's not a surprise to me that he was super excited about Live 2005. So were we. My brothers and I spent a lot of times, a lot of time with those games, uh, and I just feel like the love isn't there for the NBA portions of the games. I was just trying to think if I never had a midnight release for a basketball game. And the only one that I can think of was uh, 2K14 and Live 14 because I went to a midnight release, midnight launch for the PS4. Yeah, I, I, that was the only midnight uh, release, midnight launch I had for a basketball game. But I have got a lot of day one releases where I pre-ordered and, uh, and and picked it up on the on the day or had it posted to me. Actually, Live of 6 PC was released early. So EB Games, which is the Australian uh, uh, version of GameStop, 
accidentally put out the PC version, I think a week early or something, and it was it was a big thing in a, in the forum. Uh, fellow Aussie uh, noted that and posted that in the forum, so I was actually at work at the time and browsing the forum when I probably shouldn't have been. So I put in the call to to mum and said, "Hey, can you uh, pick that up?" Uh, and I'll you know, so it's there for me uh, after work, and uh, and she did. You know, shout out to you, mum. And um, yeah, so I got it a week early, and of course we're all happy about that and bragging about it. And that never happened again because EA were not happy about the early uh, breaking the street date for that game, Live at Six PC. So that uh, that never happened again. But uh, for one glorious time in the <laughs> basketball gaming history, uh, Australia got a game first. There you go. I mean, that's that's memorable, um, especially for you because, like you said, you, you get them late a lot of the time. Um, so that definitely works out. I, I also wanted to point out that I, for NBA 2K14, I think I had mentioned this like 100 episodes ago. I traveled to Massachusetts. So I traveled about an hour outside of where I lived. And um, I went to a Microsoft store in a mall and they pre-release, they had like NBA 2K14 set up on an Xbox One and um, for us to be able to try it. And I remember spending what, an hour and a half, two hours <laughs> um, at that Microsoft store with my girlfriend at the time. And I'm sure she wanted to leave. I mean, she she, um, I, she tried it too. Um, but I, I spent a long time there just playing NBA 2K14 and trying it and everything. And it was just awesome. It was, it was awesome playing it. The graphics popped. We were playing on a really big screen and whatnot. But yeah, I was super excited about the NBA 2K14 next-gen release. Uh, Teddy Bear the Gamer at 317 Teddy Bear on Twitter. A game that he remembers being excited about at launch was uh, 2K11. Uh, MF Don at Don Mega underscore C agrees. Big facts. I actually walked to the shop to get that instead of ordering online. Same for NBA Jam 2010 around that time as well. So yeah, 2K11 is one that stands out in a lot of people's minds. Yeah, I mean, it was the return, the return of Jordan. It was also a new motion system for the video game, completely revamped gameplay really over nba 2k10 um the advertising about it around it was ridiculous i can't say that enough um yeah 2k11 is still considered by many the greatest basketball video game ever made and that's always a very contentious debate because i see some people saying nba street volume 2 which is a very strong candidate as well but once you start mixing the sim and arcade genres it does get very uh, very murky because there are people who do prefer the sim style and those who prefer the arcade games like jam in the street and it's hard to put one over the other when they both deliver obviously great basketball gaming experiences but very different basketball gaming experiences oh 100 percent um i think it's cool too that he mentioned nba jam ofe and then also nba 2k11 because that shows you the type of variety that we had back then right oh, you know he gets sick yeah. of 2k gets sick of 2k11 or a five on five gameplay or even just wants to switch it up he was able to turn on nba jam on fire edition so um and both incredibly strong games i mean hell it's 2022 and i could end this podcast walk into my apartment and put on both of those games back to back and have a good time and in fact we could fire up parsec after we finished recording and play international basketball 2009 and laugh but we do need to do that we're not playing that but <laughs> because i'm a weird collector my first response to you when you were sharing highlights of International Basketball 09 was what? I need that. I want that game. <laughs> I want that, yeah. I need that. Yeah, not, it was, I don't even know if I, I want that. I was like, I need that. Like, I need <laughs> that game. And that's how weird I am. It's like the kids' sports basketball thing. It's like, we played it. Sure. The game is terrible. It's not a good basketball game. But I need that game. 
because I need it as part of my collection. You're saying you'd like me to chuck that in the box that I send over in a week or so? <laughs> Don't send me kid sports basketball. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Yeah, no, actually, if you want to throw that, hey, listen, if you want to throw in any games, any basketball games that you have copies of, I will take them. Um, I wasn't kidding about that, actually, because even though we kid sports basketball wasn't that great when we played it, I still enjoyed the overall experience of connecting with a friend on it, right? True, and exactly. Using yeah. ginger, ginger clay and understanding <laughs> the game. Clay. And my bro- my brother and I talked about this because he makes fun of me for it sometimes. He's like, oh, you're always putting on these old games. And I was like, listen, one of the best parts of putting on these old games is trying to get into the developers' minds and the decision makers' minds and say, you know, what were you thinking when you did this, right? Or overall just thinking, what were they thinking when they made this animation in the game or this presentation item or this type of roster editing feature? Like, I love looking at what they were doing with the technology at the times and then how they were making and and, and trying to get into the minds of what they were thinking when they made the games this way. So that's very that's what I told him. I was like, that's 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 why I love revisiting these games all the time. I think when it comes to kids sports basketball, what was going through the developers' minds was, oh, it's for kids. That who cares? Right. It was more. It was more along the lines of, this game doesn't need to be good. Let's <laughs> shovel, just shovel this out. Yeah, shovel this out. Right. Shovel this out. This doesn't need to be good. People will buy it, and it's so cheaply made that we'll make a prod, uh, like a, a profit. I think that's probably what it was. Oh, speaking of of profits, or, or certainly lots of copies sold. I was looking up NBA basketball for in television. Which I which I do own, but I was also getting some screenshots from the the, the emulated version of it on Intellivision Lives for the PlayStation Two, because obviously you get a much better picture than trying to hook up the uh, Intellivision to a, a capture card, if, uh, if if that is indeed possible. Haven't given that a try yet, and I looked up the the, the they had some trivia about the game, some interesting notes, and it sold an estimated five hundred thousand copies in the late seventies, early eighties. That's pretty impressive, especially before the video game crash. That is incredibly impressive. Because if you actually look at that game now, I mean, there's really no replay value. But it really shows you what was entertaining back then. Right? Absolutely. You know, people make fun of it today. Oh, like double dribble. Like, listen, back when we were playing double dribble, it was still fresh. And we didn't care back then. I don't even remember ever questioning it. We didn't care that it didn't have a season mode or a tournament or anything like that. We just wanted to connect on the sticks with a buddy or like with one of my brothers or something like that. We just wanted to connect on the sticks and have a fun competitive game. And what's funny is, is that's kind of what we're doing today, right? Sure. That's what we're doing on Parsec today. All ages, guys, you know, in their early twenties, people that are joining the discord in their late teens, people in their thirties. Hell, we have a couple people, I think on the discord in their early forties. What are they doing? They're connecting on these games like Double Dribble, older games, NBA in the Zone, NBA in the Zone 2, etc. You and I are connecting on all these games. Why? We're not playing a season. We're not playing a My League. We're not playing a Dynasty. We're not playing a franchise. We're not doing all this. We're not doing these crazy challenges or anything like that. We're doing it to have that shared experience, the same exact shared experience that we had in the late 80s playing games like Double Dribble. So if you look at it that way, people like um, and I'd love to say this to some of the younger crowd as well. But if you look at it that way, that's where you can see where there was still an appeal to play 
these older games, right? Definitely. We're big advocates, as we've said before, of retro basketball gaming. Going back to an old favorite, if you're not enjoying the latest game, that's what I've been doing the past couple of months. Yeah, 100%. And that's why online connectivity needs to be sharp, even for just like exhibition games. So if people can't meet in the same household, you know, like we're, we're able to have a sharp connect online connectivity using Parsec, but I'm talking about integrated online um, connectivity in the game, like via NBA 2K or NBA Live. There needs to be good matchmaking and good connectivity so people can still share those experiences like we did when we were younger. Next up is Knowledgebone at The Harassment on Twitter. Talking about pre-release excitement, uh, not so much anymore. They are always typically the same game as the previous year, and the whole pay-to-play or in-game purchases, whatever you want to call it, really kills some of the excitement. I miss the days of needing skill to unlock content. The most exciting for me was NBA Live 95, the first game that there was some real buzz about. Absolutely game-changing in its day in terms of graphics and gameplay. Once again, that resonates with me completely, Derek. Obviously, the issue of pay-to-play and in-game purchases, missing the days of unlocking the rewards from simply playing the game which has come back with the season approach in my team and my career but as a lot of people have pointed out they're not necessarily great rewards people have brought that up on twitter and of course they're shouted down immediately oh it's free you don't have to pay for these you're always complaining you're whining you're never happy but it's fair to point out that the unlockables aren't necessarily feel worth the time and effort it takes to grind up and unlock them that's that's kind of a point. They're supposed to be fun, so if they're failing in that regard, it's only fair to point it out. As for Live 95, obviously, there was great buzz about that back in the day, and you look at the jump it made from Showdown to Live 95, one of the biggest year-to-year jumps in basketball gaming, and certainly in the NBA Live series, definitely a game-changer. Graphics and gameplay, uh, Live 95 is one of my favorites. It's spectacular. Been playing it recently, posted some screenshots, and uh, we, we actually, we connected on that. We connected that on Parsecs uh, recently and played a bit of a playoff uh, series. So we, we forgot to mention that at the top of the show. But yeah, I absolutely agree 100% with Knowledge Bone there. A uh, couple things really quick. NBA Live 95, when we connected, Steve Kerr bailed us out. So we actually did <laughs> win. But this was hilarious. So Andrew and I were down by eight points. And there was like, I think, one minute left. About that. And Andrew goes into the sub screen. And he's like, all right, we got to get Kerr in here. Throws Steve Kerr into the game. I think he subbed out BJ Armstrong. And we take the floor. No, it was Pete Myers. Pete Myers, yes. yes. Yeah. So Steve Carr takes the floor and immediately buries three threes in a row, and we go up one and we win the game. <laughs> yeah. And, it, like, unbelievable performance. Then the next game that we played, I think we blew out the computer by about 15 or 20. I think it was the Knicks. Um, but, no, that was really fun connecting on that. And it worked really well overall on my end. And I think we were really getting the hang of it before I had to disconnect in that second game. I did want to bring something up though really quick because the first part of his statement is again talking about the stale gameplay and to, you know he he brings up and I he says you know it feels like it's just like a roster update when they release a new 2K. Obviously it's not just a roster update. They do add things like terrible contact dunk meters um and you know they change up the post game a little bit, etc. But overall what he's getting to is that the gameplay overall has gotten stale. He'd like to have you know, excitement around the on-court action in the feel of that game. So I definitely 100% understand what he's saying in that regard. And as far as like, um, he talked about skill gap, we've mentioned this before. Some of the worst players at NBA 2K can be superstars 
in the video game because of the way of the, because of the artificial boosts and the way the gameplay is set up like the video you showed me of you playing against the computer and them just rifling off step back threes from like a foot inside half court and just burying them over and over and over again. That has absolutely nothing to do with them being good at the game. That has everything to do with them having artificial boosts that allows them to just cheese the game. Right. So I definitely understand what he's saying in that regard. So I actually really appreciated his response because I think those two pieces that he mentioned are the biggest issues that people have with the series right now. They really do. And we've talked about that before, the, the 2K fatigue and not feeling that it's moving in the right direction, obviously, but certainly that it's the, the same old, same old. And when they do change it up, as you said, it's not always a change for the better. It just seems to be a change for change's sake or it's an ill-advised idea. You can see where they're coming from with it, but it's it just not, not a good idea. Yeah, no, definitely thanks for the response. Um, but yeah, NBA Live 95, when we connected on that on Parsec, not only did it work really well, completely clear on my end, no lag spikes or anything like that. Um, I just thought that for a fun, ridiculous, up-and-down style basketball game, it definitely hit the spot when we connected. It, it did, because we were also playing arcade as well, because I wanted to kind of speed run the playoffs so that I could get some screenshots and, and video of winning the championship in Live 95 uh, for Super Nintendo. So... We just put, yeah, we said, okay, let's make this a bit easier. But we thought it was going to be easy, but then it wasn't. They shot 87%. Yeah. So yeah. the first game that won, okay, the one where we had to bring in Steve Kerr to, be, to do some Win. heroics, <laughs> the computer lock, shot like 87% from the field on starter. Ridiculous. They Like, they would not miss anywhere on the floor. They call that starter difficulty, since when is the computer shooting 87% for a game? constitute as starter that, 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 was, that was ridiculous it was it was insane I, I will say that i did notice a, a problem that we were having is that we were both trying to uh to to, to abuse the hand check to get the uh the pushing steals that's not even a hand check that's not even a hand check that's a full-on that's a shove <laughs> two off extending both arms shove that's that would a, that's make a flagrant foul that would make the 88 89 detroit pistons jealous it, 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 really, it really is but because that's the same it's the same button as shoot, so you and I were both mashing that to get the uh, the cheap steals with the the hand check button, and uh, then firing up shots from half court and full court as well. Uh, so that that did uh, that hurt us a couple of times. But yeah, Steve Kerr with the heroics, not unlike the '97 finals, of course. But uh, but next up we have Big Cosmedia at Cosy Cosman on Twitter talking about the excitement of the new game releases. Absolutely, especially when I would go to Blockbuster after seeing the ads for the games. I love the SNES, Genesis to PS2, OG Xbox, and GameCube era of basketball video games, and some PS3 360 era ones were good. I used to go every Friday with my bro and pops, that is to, uh, to Blockbuster. I know you can relate to that. We do have Blockbuster, or should I say we did have Blockbuster in Australia. Uh, it wasn't the main chain. It, w it was either Video Easy or Civic Video around my way. But again, going to the video store and renting games uh, when they were new or, or certainly been out for a while. Uh, yeah, so many great memories of doing that in the 90s. When he, when he mentioned Blockbuster, automatically all the early 2000s memories for me just came flooding back. We lived at Blockbuster. So basically what ended up happening for us was we would we'd be playing basketball. My, my friend Craig and I, we would play basketball five hours a day. No joke. Like if, if we had school, uh, because I was in high school at the time, if we had school, we would play basketball after school. And then we would find try to find an outdoor court to play at 
after school so play until it got dark you know when it was nice out and whatnot or we'd find try to find another indoor court um after school as well to go play and then what we would do at night because we were hanging out all the time is once it got dark we would go to a local blockbuster we either try to rent a movie or rent a game and then we would head back to the apartment and have like salsa con queso with chips or something like that and play NBA Inside Drive 2002 or NBA Inside Drive 2003, et cetera, or NBA Live 2003. It was actually more NBA Inside Drive with him. We played a lot of that. But yeah, we loved Blockbuster. There was also this place that was down the street from my house that I used to ride my bike to. It was like connected. It was like a small video store next to the local post office and they allowed you to rent older games. So it was like, um, like Sega Genesis games and super NES games. And I would at times, you know, ride my bike down to that store and I'd pick up like, I don't know, Madden 94 or Madden 96 or uh, a basketball title or something like that. And I'd ride my bike back to my, um, my house and I would play it with my two brothers. And the cool thing about that place was they also sold games. So they had games that were, you could rent for a lot cheaper than blockbuster. So it was only like a buck or two to rent a game. Um, but then you could also buy games for cheap there there were definitely a lot of super nes and sega genesis and even nintendo games that i picked up from that little store but definitely loved blockbuster a lot of memories going there late at night and just walking around the store and looking at all the movies and um, different games and everything so thanks for bringing those memories back i feel like when we were kids and going to the video store like that that was how we experienced a lot of games like i had my collection at home but i feel like i rented a lot of the games that I played over the years, and some of them I've gone on to buy, being a collector. And Live 95, for example, Super Nintendo version of Live 95, I didn't own that until years later. I, the first NBA Live game I owned was Live 96 PC, which is one of the reasons I feel so nostalgic for that game. But Live 95 for uh, Super Nintendo was a, a frequent rental. Yeah, I think the thing that, that was tough with rentals was we didn't get them for long enough. So you'd have them for like five, five days or something like that. And then you'd have to return them. I don't know. I, I can't remember exactly what it was for Blockbuster. I, I want to say that you could rent them for up to a week and then you had to return them. Usually, or yeah. Like I mean, you could save, yeah. you, you could, some of the games you could save, obviously, even on the cartridges with battery backup. But was that save going to be there the next time you rented it? Probably not. Right, exactly. Obviously, the selection in places like Blockbuster and even the small video stores was pretty limited, um, and especially a place like Blockbuster, which was so commercial, like you would get the like the newer titles um, in there all the time. But if you tried to like find anything that was older than a year or two, um, you wouldn't be able to get it. When you found a store that had a great wide selection, even, of course, with videos back then and, and movies and, and NBA tapes as well, sometimes that was difficult to find, at least here in Australia, probably not so much over there. But when you found that with, with great, huge selection of NBA tapes, or for me, wrestling tapes in the late 90s, or video games to hire, again, like finding buried treasure, you'd want to go there, you'd spend all your money there. Yeah, you know what the biggest downfall of Blockbuster was at the start was Redbox. Mm. And I hated Redbox because it wasn't the same experience. So what the cool thing about Blockbuster was you were able to like walk into the store. Um, and I know this sounds cheesy or whatever, but you know, you get to interact with people, right? Sure. You see other people in there, and then you get to interact with the, the store clerk and, and whatnot. 
But you had the whole experience of looking at all the different boxes and finding something new maybe you hadn't seen before and, you know, going to the video game wall or going into like the horror section, stuff like that. But then the red box came around and red box is just a literal red box that sits outside like a Walmart or sits outside a Walgreens a or something like that. Yeah. It's like a kiosk. And then you put like a buck in or two bucks in and it spits out the movie or game and then you're on your way. And it just kind of killed the experience for me. It just wasn't the same. And then obviously killing Blockbuster even further, places like Blockbuster is things like Netflix, right? And on demand movies and everything like that. So why would you go to a video store when you can just grab that stuff at home? And that's also what's killing stores and malls, right? Like we have a local mall here that used to be full of stores and activity and it's dead now because of what is everybody doing? They're shopping on Amazon, right? They're shopping online. So I definitely miss the in-person face-to-face interactions and the in-person interactions with the products. And I miss that, that basically the, the feeling of getting excited to go out into these establishments. Oh, I can definitely relate. There was a great video game store that was around my way, FX All Games, back in the day. Long gone, unfortunately. But it was so great as a, a Nintendo fanboy in the 90s, being able to go in there. And they, they had a great trade-in system with their used games. They sold new games as well, but they had used games where you would trade in one of yours plus a nominal fee at the time, 5 to $7.00. Uh, to swap the game and you, that's how i again how my collection would change over the years and how i'd get to experience new games in addition to to renting as well that was always a great vibe going there saying to dad on saturdays oh can you take me to fx games oh yeah we'll go to fx games every uh, couple of months or so it was great to trading games actually got uh, i think i got live 96 pc there i got nba jam tournament edition for pc there and a couple of other uh, ones that are still in my collection to this day those original copies so a lot of great memories of that actually found there's a retro gaming store open near me uh, i saw the the ad on instagram of all places usually i skip through such ads but i did see that ad whenever i see an ad for a a retro game store in australia uh, be it the one that's that does postage obviously or one that's local i always take a look and uh, i found one so i might have to uh, go and check it out sometime there you go what was the name of that store uh it was fx all games was its name and there was also a membership program where you would get discounts and things uh i think i still have my card somewhere so i, I don't want to throw it out as as uh, as much as that makes me sound like a hoarder although with with uh, my, you know i still have my old blockbuster card and they haven't been around for years so it's the memories yeah so next up is thunder shack at thunder underscore shack on twitter as far as feeling excitement for new releases says i do not and it really coincides with my waning desire to play the modes 2K17 was the last release I finished my rookie season in my career. 2K20 was the last release I put much time into my team. Each year I have less reason to move on to the next release. I'm an offline player. The last time 2K added a new mode was 2K14, LeBron Path to Greatness. If all I have to do is play now in my league, there isn't a point. I'll have to fix their bad default rosters just to enjoy it. I don't have 2K22 and got more excited re-downloading 2K13 recently. So... Pretty wild that NBA 2K14 LeBron Path to Greatness is really the last time they added something new for an offline mode, right? It is, yeah. Uh, I hadn't thought of it, but that's absolutely right. That is wild. And I, I suppose somebody could say, well, they add all of this new content to my team, right? But that's a little bit different because there's a grind to that mode that you feel like you shouldn't have to do to deal with. And then there's also obviously the intense push to get you to buy packs and 
you know, pay for microtransactions, et cetera. So yeah, it is pretty wild that we're coming up on a decade of no new added on offline mode. So I definitely sympathize with him there. I know that I know that he stuck with 2K20 PC um, with his um, classic teams rosters etc and that he didn't move on to the newest 2ks and that's not very surprising um because as others have stated um they are not exactly how do i how do i say elated about the gameplay right they don't think it's taken a big enough jump in order to make them make the switch um there hasn't been any enhancements really in customization on the console space or in the game by default that makes people really want to make that switch. So it doesn't surprise me that he's stuck with 2K20 or that he's frustrated that we haven't had any new real offline mode since um, LeBron Path to Greatness. And of course, with my team, that content is gone once the servers are shut down. So it's, it's you're kind of renting it, really. It's so ridiculous. I still can't believe they do that. They charge you... 60 or 70 dollars sometimes more if you want to get more virtual currency and whatnot and rewards they'll charge you those those base prices and we talked about this with um with stildo 33 when he was on the show but they charge you full price they advertise that my team content they advertise that online content um in order to get you to buy the game and then they rip it away from you a couple years later i'll just never understand why that's okay and why more people don't speak up about that i saw a comment in the NBA 2K subreddit, the official NBA 2K subreddit recently, that said, look, I'm quite happy to drop an extra 60 to 100 bucks on a game if I'm enjoying it. And I get where they're coming from by saying that, but not only does that give 2K license to make the base product weaker, but wasn't it better when you didn't have to do that to enjoy a game? Like, I, I like being able to just spend that base price and get a great experience. All this stuff has been normalized over the years and people just accept it and I guess to a certain extent you do, you accept it and you either put up with it or play something else, fair enough. But I just don't get why people defend these practices and they don't look at how things used to be and think, hey, that was actually better value for money. That was better. We're kind of getting screwed here. But people just say, oh, you know, go play an old game, old head, and if if that's what you want, okay, I will. (laughs) So I don't have to deal with this stuff. But yeah, the way that people will defend these practices, these anti-consumer practices, it continues to really confuse me why people will shill for companies like that no i'm sorry you call me an old head people um but i'm having more fun with the games that i'm playing than you are <laughs> yeah you know that money i'm sorry and how about that tweet that you shared with me about a 2k player who said that you know he was fed up but was willing to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars in years past on my team packs remember that you shared that tweet with me and it's unbelievable that for years that person was willing to, I think it was the last couple of years or last three years or whatever, that person spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on my team. And now all of a sudden he's fed up. Like, are you kidding me? You should never have spent that money in the first place. That speaks to the problem. It took you years to be fed up after spending all of that money over the top of the base price of the game. That's a huge red flag. And that happens with Madden, too, by the way, with Madden Ultimate Team. But it's a huge red flag. Oh, it's, it's why games are making bank these days. And by the way, people say that, oh, they need that money to because games are expensive to produce, which they are. But a lot of that money from microtransactions and whatnot are going towards bonuses for executives who do not put in the hard work 
for games in the first place, to the creation of games in the first place. So that's it's not a good yeah, argument at all. Yeah, these companies were surviving in the early two thousands, mid two thousands, or and, and early two thousand tens without microtransactions. Yeah, this that's not they don't need it to survive. I'm really sorry. I, I'm never going to buy that as an excuse. You know, for decades, these companies have been perfectly fine without extra charges over the top of the um, the re- regular price of the game. And you can say, well, games are more expensive to make and everything today, but that is not an excuse to absolutely gouge people's pockets and put gambling p- uh, mechanics in their face at all times when they turn on the game. I've also seen people suggest that the, the journey in my career and what whatnot would be not as fun if there wasn't as much grinding or the possibility of speeding up with the pay-to-upgrade mechanics. And I'm sorry, that again, that's just excusing weak, lazy game design or game design that is meant to push recurrent revenue mechanics and not fun. So once again, that that's something that you and I will not buy. You know, we, Not only will we not buy VC, we do not buy the arguments in favor of microtransactions either. Next up, we have Scorpion Soldier Gaming at CJ underscore CAD50 on Twitter. I feel like the games from 360, PS3 era and older have a specific soul to them, especially the PS2, Xbox, GameCube era. The only games this generation that gave me that feeling were 2K14 and 2K16 on Xbox One. 2K22 almost from a single player standpoint, exhibition slash my league. Unpopular opinion as well, but I feel NBA Live 19 also has that specific soul to it. I have updated rosters on there to a certain extent before recent trades, as well as a real enjoyable game setting slider set. Definitely one of my favorite NBA games this generation, believe it or not. So that's an interesting response as well. I, I certainly relate to the that 360 PS3 era being that kind of last era that I was really excited about, and also early 8th generation as well. Live 19, that's uh, an interesting take on that one. Well, so the last game that my brother and I, my brothers and I, were super excited about was NBA 2K18 and what happened with that. That was the last game that we were like incredibly excited about because we loved NBA 2K17, right? So NBA 2K18 was right around the corner and we're like, oh my God, if they even make more improvements over NBA 2K17, then this could be the best NBA 2K ever. And then NBA 2K18 was a complete flop in our household and we absolutely couldn't stand it. And you saw the negative reaction to that release. And some people now say it's the worst NBA 2K ever made. There's there's people out there that think it's the worst one they ever put together. I definitely agree with him about something special, being special about those Xbox 360, PS3 era games and prior. It feels like there was a lot more love put into the games um, from a presentation element um, on the NBA side of things, etc. And all the um, special things they were trying to do with those games. Um, Definitely agree on that. With NBA Live 19, it's, it's a very weird situation. I wasn't optimistic for NBA Live 19. I didn't really like Live 18 that much. Um, I talked about this on the NLSC forum and even put a YouTube together, YouTube video together about it. Live 19, I did not have that super exciting feel. I did enjoy the demo, and then they ruined the game, in my opinion, in many ways, with patches. They made it sluggish. They made it feel more canned. Um, it, feel, it, it started to feel not as fun etc um so i would say probably for me the last game that i loved instantly when i picked up the sticks was nba 2k17 i think that was the case for me as well live 19 as i've said before i feel like it had an identity crisis if, if you will it didn't know whether it wanted to be street or live and kind of was a 
an ineffective mishmash of both. A lot of people do love 19, and that's that's cool to see. Again, that speaks to the reason to keep the NBA Live series going, although I do think they need to sort out what the, the game's identity should be, and I would prefer it to be more like your classic lives rather than that street live hybrid. But, but clearly, it did resonate with a lot of people. So again, we'd love to see live continue because there is an audience for it. It, it may not be the same size as 2K. In fact, we can, we can say that it, right now it certainly isn't. But the interest is there. And Live19 did things that resonated with gamers, with basketball gamers. So by all means, EA, you know, you've got an audience there. People want to get excited again. They do. And this is the perfect time for EA Sports or another company. Um, let's say, I don't know, like San Diego Studios who make MLB the show. Um, another company to jump into the space advertise the hell out of your game market the hell out of it um get people excited about um maybe a new gameplay mode or new special feature or anything like that and per- just you know promote great gameplay and all that stuff this would be a great time for somebody to come into the space and get people excited again next up we have villa cage at i mason kog on twitter i remember when 2k12 came out I went to the midnight release, and these dudes that were in line recognized each other. I guess they fought at the club the weekend before, and one of them said, after you get your game, I've got something for you, and showed his gun. Okay, that's that's a pretty wild midnight launch. That, I know this sounds weird, but I wish I was there for that, because that's super exciting. <laughs> that's I know that sounds odd. Maybe I just love the drama or whatnot. Um, but no, that that I've I've done a midnight release before. I've been to one, and it, nothing like that happened. But 2K12, let's, let's focus on something not you know, bar brawl related 2k 12 was such a highly anticipated release because 2k 11 was so strong and they did such a good job with 2k 12 marketing the legends again. Remember the cover, you know, the covers with Larry bird and, and magic Johnson and everything. Um, and Michael Jordan, they did such a good job of marketing the classic players and then the current NBA. And there's, you know, there was all the commercials for it and all of that stuff. And 2K12 didn't disappoint either. I thought it was another really strong release for 2K. Um, it's, it's one that my brothers and I just spent a ton of time on. It was an uphill battle because, of course, you had the looming lockout, which did extend into the season and ended up canceling games and pushing the season back to December, of course. But that was what made the addition of NBA's Greatest and the expansion beyond the Jordan Challenge into the other legends as well. That was such a great idea that 2K obviously saw the lockout coming. And look, more historical content was probably in the pipeline anyway, because the Jordan Challenge was such a hit. Why not expand upon that? But at the same time, it was such a great idea with the lockout threatening the start of the season. And of course, you can't release that game with with new rookies and updated rosters. So patch that in later and the new historical content is the fresh stuff at launch. So that was a brilliant move on 2K's part. Yeah, they had that they had the meat, right? Yeah. The game had enough meat to it that would get people through and I think that um they knocked it out of the park with NBA 2K11, 2K12, 2K13 and the, the, basically those three titles in succession, I think they knocked it out of the park with all three. Dante Campana at Dante Campana on Twitter about pre-release hype and launch day excitement. Uh, not anymore. There's only one game in town now, and this game has decided to invest in gimmicks and become a GTA lookalike instead of a real NBA sim. This has come to fruition at the cost of what makes the NBA unique. Authenticity. I rest my case. The days before an NBA Live release in the 90s and early 2000s were magical. I miss that feeling. Yeah, this, this has been a common theme throughout the responses in the mailbag. 
that the lack of competition and the that the way they approached the marketing of the game back in the day felt so much more exciting. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. Lack of competition, lack of authenticity, and focusing on the wrong things, point blank. Um, and I think, like I said, I think that's hitting uh, basically the hot button. That's, that's what um, is getting people frustrated and disappointed year in and year out. Um, and that's why we need competition. And the next response echoes those sentiments as well. Mujin Asakura at Lo-Fi Samurai 11 on Twitter. I miss the passion for the game of basketball put into these games. I feel like NBA Live 18 and 19 had that heart, but I feel like 2K has lacked it since 2K 16 and 17. It's all about entertainment, memes, and pay-to-win cycles. Society has turned hoops into a gimmicks fest. And yes, that, that is we've talked about that before on so many occasions, and it continues to be a, an issue. It's what's certainly pushed us, I think, to go back to old favorites over trying to deal with these this, this approach and this, this fortnight with basketball, if you will. And that sounds cynical, but a lot of people are saying that because it feels kind of true. Or, or, or GTA Online, that MMORPG experience. And look, I know there are passionate people working on NBA 2K, but they have to fall in line with what the suits want. And suits want to make a lot of money with these mechanics that aren't necessarily about fun. In fact, they're very rarely about fun because that's not an effective way of making money, or certainly not as effective as the grindy mechanics and gouging. So we can see a lot of people feel, as we do, jaded with these recent releases because of the approach. Yeah, there's that word gimmick again Yes, that um, people are using. Um, it definitely feels gimmicky. Uh, I think what happened is is the the strong gameplay and authenticity has taken a backseat to artificial boosts and canned sequences. That's the way I, I feel about it. And I think that's the most frustrating thing. And then lies too. Like we've talked about the developer blog, how there's definitely a lot of half truths or blatant lies that get told each year just to market the game. And marketing is always going to be, you know, BS some, to some extent. Yeah. And, and some of it's going to be BS to some extent. Um, but it just gets really old year in and year out, all the broken promises and all the half truths or, or like I said, you know, the total lies. The goodwill has been very much eroded at this point. We don't. We feel jaded because we haven't been given a reason to extend that goodwill because we haven't had that goodwill extended to us, and the trust has been broken by so many blogs that have come out that have the next year admitted, oh, this thing that we said was a really good idea. Actually, that was a band aid fix for a problem we had with the new motion system. And look, of course right. they're not. Of course they're not going to come out with a blog and say, well. The, the motion system is kind of working. We think it's going to be good in the future. So we've kind of got a Band-Aid fix for it now. No, they're not going to say that. But it's it's the blatant lie about it. And then the, the goal to come out next year and admit that it's a lie. But nobody ever really calls them on that. I mean, you and I do. But, well, we, we know the situation with influencers and what they need to do to keep their influence and keep their access. But there's some blatant lies that have not been called out or they've been very much swept under the rug. But Andrew, you're not a blue check. You're not uh, like a major influencer, a paid, ma- uh, a paid major influencer. Um, so, you know, what, shouldn't I just listen to them who say it's the greatest gameplay ever in the first couple of weeks when it's released? I guess shouldn't so. Shouldn't I just listen to them? Shouldn't I just listen to them, you know, and including developers that say things like, oh, well, the post game is back. The post game is back, people, even though the post game post game isn't as good as it was in many of their past releases. Why did it go uh, away? Why did it go away? Why is it back? Right, right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, where'd it go? But, you know, you're not, you know, why should we listen to you, Andrew? And see, that's the problem is it's an uphill battle. It's it's a constant 
it's 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 who has the influence and um how many people are listening to you know the wrong people uh and unfortunately a lot of people are listening to the wrong people and um that's including people that are you know making these games you know it's it's listening to the suits and unfortunately a lot of people have to do that to keep their jobs but they're listening to these people who are giving poor direction on how to make these games uh and how to make these games enjoyable for consumers and have them hungry for and coming back for more and you can say whatever you want i'll, I'll say this again you know of course, they're going to have 10 million plus sales every year. It's the only option in the five on five gaming space right now. So I don't want to hear, well, well, they're selling this many copies. Um, yeah, there's only one option for people who love NBA. Bigger Fats at Bigger Fats on Twitter has not felt that excitement in a long time. Says, I remember I missed class for 2K5. Have you ever missed class or perhaps work, Derek, to either buy a game at launch or to, to simply to, to just take some time off and play it? Uh, I have, I believe, called out of work before to play a game. I'll be honest with you. I think it was in the early 2000s. I want to say that I was working at Shaw's at the time. I think I was like, a, I think I was uh, pushing carts for Shaw's um, and cashiering. And I want to say that I did call out of a shift in order to play. Uh, I want to say, was it NBA Live 2001? It might have been. It might have been NBA Live 2001 or NBA Live 2002. So, yes, I think I have done that in the past. I'm not sure if I've ever. Actually, not for a new game, but there was a time when my cousin was visiting, and I was a casual at the time, and I, instead of calling in to see if there was work for me, which there could have been, I could have got some money, I actually decided to uh, spend time with my cousin, and because uh, we had, hadn't caught up in a while, and just uh, play games all day before he had to leave for, uh, for his job. So that's probably the closest I've come to calling out of work for it. Uh, don't think I ever skipped school or anything like that. But but yeah, I do see some stories like that, and uh, and of course, once again with Live 6 PC, when I called Mum to see if she could do a uh, a shopping run to uh, to pick that up. But yeah, video games, serious business, really has been for a long time for us, right? I oh, mean, 100%. I I think video video games have been serious business for me even since like the late '80s, which is wild. I know that sounds like it ages me, but we really started playing video games when we were young I, I like i stated i've said this many times i remember playing double dribble as like a five-year-old <laughs> in the late 80s um and just like having a blast with it and playing against my dad um and then you know playing against my brothers and whatnot so next up is one kidney kenny at one kidney kenny on twitter and of course still do 33 in the forum uh, the last one I waited for was 2K16 at midnight. This was when they started releasing all the newer classic teams from 2000s. It was back when My League offline mode was amazing. I'd do it again if they actually cared about those users. Would be fun. They can add new content. 2000 paces would be baller. Reggie is needed. Lots of other fun teams could be made slash added. I did it because of the new modes and content. I went to the midnight release every year until this year. So I was in my mid-30s still, man. LOL. So to go back to what I said at the beginning of the segment, you know, it's not just a matter of being in your 30s and being immediately becoming jaded and uh and giving up on it how, how can you not love ken the guy's in his mid-30s um he's talking about being in his 30s and he's still showing up for midnight releases of basketball video games good for him yeah you know and um i love that i love that people because that we are the generation that was growing up during the vi video games the the boom right the boot like with Nintendo and Super NES and Sega Genesis and Sega CD and um, I'll even say like systems like Jaguar 64 
in the excitement that was around that. Not even a real 64-bit system, but they sure as hell advertised it that way. Um, PlayStation and PlayStation 2. Like, we grew up with all of this stuff. We're, we're really, we really are lifelong gamers. And if you enjoyed video games that much as a kid, um, chances are you still, like, love video games. Like, that's the way I look at it. And we're, we're noticing that in the Parsec gaming um, community and on the NLSC in general that, you know, we're not the only ones in our 30s that are playing these games still. There's a lot of people out there. Well, like you said, we grew up with them. So that, that is a hobby that we feel that is comforting to us, that is enjoyable to us, that we will happily go back to when we when we have the time. And it's like we've said before, you as long as you're taking care of your business, you know, that's fine. Yep, 100%. Like, it's just what we choose to do. And as long as we take care of our business and life, that's what matters. You mentioned uh, Brent Lane playing with him recently. And, of course, he's also involved with the uh, NCAA Basketball 10 modding in the forum as well. His response, he says he still wishes he could get that excited about it. I don't remember the last time I felt that way about a video game. I remember when 2K15 was announced as next-gen, pre-ordering it and then staying up all night that night, starting my career. Nothing like that anymore, but maybe 2K23 will have something crazy again and get me ready. And I think we're, we're still holding out for that every year, even if we do feel jaded and skeptical and whatnot. We still want the games to be good. So we're, we're not going in there wanting to hate. And it may come across that way to some people. And, and that's really misrepresenting our critique of video games. We love basketball video games, Derek. We want them to be good. But that's that nagging thought in the back of your mind and that recent disappointment and, and feeling more skeptical and jaded when you see those developer blogs that have those... Uh, lies in some cases you know that that's just natural yeah i mean there's a huge difference between being a quote-unquote hater and then you know having 2k and, and then also having like 2k fatigue or being frustrated with the company's decisions right you're allowed to be frustrated you're you know you're allowed to critique you're allowed to um hell you're allowed to scream from the rooftops about issues that you're having with the games because you do so doesn't make you automatically just a hater there's something wrong right there's something that's bothering you and it's okay to speak up about that as far as 2k15 that was a big deal if you remember correctly um because it was the first next gen game on pc so it was a big uh, deal in my house and what i ended up doing and my brother loved this because he loved watching it is i dove right into my team on nba 2k15 pc and um i played the hell out of that and it was just a really fun time and i think nba 2k15 was a strong release it definitely was and that was very exciting in our community obviously that we got the the next gen port the ps4 xbox one port there was a site i'm not going to mention the site partly because i forget the name in fact a large part because i forget the name but also i wouldn't want to give them the publicity anyway but they were just putting out all these bogus reports about 2k15 pc that it was going to be uh, that, it was, that it was going to be prior gen port again, or that it was going to be cancelled. Real clickbait articles at the time, this was what, 2014, that they were, they were doing that. And yeah, they were just spreading this misinformation for clicks, which is, is common, obviously, online. But I do remember that it stands out because I was thinking, why are you doing this? You, you know, you're just going to end up eating crow if you're wrong. And why are you just trying to misdirect people like this? People just want to be relevant, I suppose. But yeah, I, I do. that stands out in my memory that somebody that there was this site trying to misdirect everybody about 2K15 and put out these unconfirmed reports. And yeah, that's just always stuck in my memory. I remember your video with your mouth wide open, <laughs> looking yeah. with the thumbnail with your mouth wide open, looking at the 2K15 logo and a picture of Kevin Durant with his head down. 
and you saying, I think caption was NBA 2K 15 to be canceled. I yeah. remember your video. It, it was, yeah, it was, it was, it was me. I can come clean. It was me. No, but yeah, that, that, I, I, I do forget the site, but I wouldn't want to give them publicity anyway because it was, it was just ridiculous. And every day, like for a couple of weeks, every day there was this article about 2K 15 PC being canceled and such. And of course, that plays on a fear that PC gamers have when it comes to basketball gaming that that we're not going to get a game because we have seen the situations where we either don't get the next gen port, even as of 2K 22, obviously, or the PC releases go away as Live did in 2002 and again after 08. And people are worried about that now. Yep. They're worried about either the PC version of NBA 2K being scrapped or it being last gen again for 2K23. So we'll have to talk about that on a future episode as well when we get more news. And finally, we have Tyler Vickery at TVic86 on Twitter. And he says, I finally got a PS5 before 2K22 and was super pumped. And it hasn't disappointed me. I love the graphics. And this is an interesting one to end on because obviously it's positive where a lot of the responses we've had, like us, have been more skeptical, jaded, negative, whatever. But yeah, obviously people are still getting pumped for the games and enjoying them. And while I may not feel that way myself, it is nice to hear that at the same time. Because again, that is ultimately what we want to do with games, enjoy them. You know, I am glad to hear that as well. I love that he's enjoying the game and it hasn't been all bad. For my brothers and I with NBA 2K22, it has been for the PC. We just don't really enjoy it at all um, for that version of it. But for the Xbox Series X version, hell, I mean, we put in hundreds of hours into it now. Um, We finished a full 82-game season on the same team playing 12-minute quarters. And we're in the playoffs right now, and we're in the second round. Um, So we're definitely, we got our money's worth with 2k22 so it's definitely not all bad he mentions the graphics i have no issues with the graphics on nba 2k22 do i think that it's the best in the series absolutely not um do i think that it's more than acceptable of course it is the most important thing um for me is the gameplay between the lines and how that feels and um you know do we have the control that we need to is it fun for myself is it fun for my brothers etc and that's where it misses the mark sometimes especially on head-to-head games it's actually been better for Legends, um, for the way we like to play in that regard, than many past games. So, um, no, I'd love to hear a positive comment in here, and I'm glad that he's enjoying it. Because it is an awful feeling when you've built up a game in your mind. You've looked at all the previews, you're excited, the trailers look good, the new features, everything sounds good, and you get the game, and it's just it just doesn't live up to the expectations. Can you remember the first game that really disappointed you after a previous season? NBA Live 07. NBA Live 07? Yeah, NBA Live 07 on um, Xbox 360 is the most disappointing release that I've ever had my hands on. It's what made us switch to 2K. And then I would say, actually, you know what? That's not the most, though. That's not the most I've been disappointed. 2K18 is the most I've been um, disappointed in my history of playing basketball video games. Just because of the uh, expectations of 2K17 before it? Yeah, yeah. It was more It was more along the lines of the fact that they promoted 2K18. You remember Ronnie 2K's tweet before it was released. He said, get ready for the best 2K ever. The way they were marketing it, it was like, you know, hey, we may be changing things about the motion system, but it's better than ever, and this is why. Um, and there was a lot of um, stuff in the developer blog that wasn't true about the actual game, right? And we found that out in the preview season of 2K19, where they admitted to some of that stuff in the new developer blogs. So I think 2K18 is the most disappointed I've ever been, but the the first time I ever felt true disappointment in a release um, was Live 07 for Xbox 360. 
I remember being greatly disappointed by Live 07 as well for the PC. And then, of course, we got a patch that kind of fixed some problems, sort of, not really. And, and that was that. You know, we talk about the amount of patches these days, and that's a problem in and of itself. But back then, having to do petitions to get patches and beg for patches, and you maybe get one or two, usually just one, back in the day, and it would fix some things, but usually not really to the point of a broken game not being broken anymore. That was a whole other level of disappointment as well. As far as other games, non-basketball games, uh, WWF Attitude for the Nintendo 64 was a game that was... It just did not live up to the hype. It's it's one of those games that you, if you talk to any wrestling fan, fan of wrestling video games, that's kind of the game that, even if you love WWF back in the day as I did, it had its, its moments, but it just did not live up to the hype. It didn't live up to what uh, AKI THQ were doing with uh, the WCW games at the time. And then, of course, they got the WWF license and the games got a lot better than what Acclaim was doing. But that was the first game that I remember getting, being so excited, bringing it home, playing it, and just being like, this is not what I wanted. And going out there, my, my folks saying, oh, are you enjoying your new game? And me going, yeah, yeah, I, it's it's fun. You know, because you don't want to admit that you feel like you've just wasted money that you don't have a lot of as a kid, obviously. But yeah, that was the first game that I really felt let down by the previews of. I still say the best wrestling video game, I'm not even into wrestling, um, but the best wrestling video game that I've ever played was WCW versus NWO World Tour for N64. Yeah, that's an AKI game. That's that's them. Oh my god, that that game just had it all. The music, presentation, loved the graphics at the time, the control. Just really enjoyed playing that game. Yeah, they went from WCW to uh, the WWF license, and uh, yeah, that that definitely improved the WWF's games uh, immensely. But yeah, again, it's it's just not a good feeling when you feel like you've oh I've wasted my money and. And a lot of people do trade games in, I, which I have done sometimes, but of course with basketball game, even before I became a hardcore basketball game collector, I never really traded them in, or I traded them in on a platform that I didn't play as much when I double-dipped, say, some of the PlayStation 2 games, and of course then bought them again years later, because I'm crazy like that, but yeah, it's, it's, it's not a good feeling. But to that point, it's, it's great to hear that people, that not everybody is experiencing that with the new games, that we do have people like Tyler, who feel that their investment in the PlayStation 5 or the Xbox Series X was well worth it and that the games haven't disappointed. And, and that's good to hear. And hopefully they can continue to make strides that less less of us feel disappointed year after year. I really want to get excited for NBA 2K23. Same. I really do. Like, people don't understand. Like, like you think I want a, a release that I'm disappointed in? I mean, I really want to get excited every year for these games. And there still is some level of excitement. Like my brother and I just we we still have this excitement of getting our hands on the game for the first time, going through the rosters to see if any new faces were made, um, you know, or touched up on, etc. Looking to see if there's any new added content, and then there's always that first fun, exciting feeling of getting onto the court and trying to you know play the game for the first time and see the differences in gameplay. Unfortunately, gameplay since 2K18 has pretty much um disappointed us in a major way um every seat every release so 2k18 2k19 2k20 2k21 2k22 we have not been thrilled with the way the game feels on the sticks and i really hope that changes in the future i do too absolutely 
But the good thing is we do have options, you and I having such extensive collections. I think more people are doing that these days as well. I've seen some comments on YouTube. Of course, we post the NLC podcast on YouTube every week. Uh, people enjoying hearing us talk about these older games and because they like going back to them themselves if they're not enjoying the latest game. And, and of course, there's not always news about uh, 2K22 or the latest game coming out every week. So naturally, we're going to talk about any major news if it uh, if it comes about. But we're quite happy to play these old games and talk about them as well. And clearly, we're not alone on that. Uh, we really do appreciate those comments. And, uh, and it's good to know that we're not alone on that. We're, we're not crazy old men Derek there's a lot of people are interested in retro basketball gaming more and more and I think it's because of these issues with microtransactions with feeling stale and going back to old favorites it's not necessarily about saying these are definitely way better than current releases it's just about what is more fun for you what is more fun for me and enjoying that which again is what it's all about and if that is the latest release that's awesome play what you enjoy and as we said earlier in the show on the settings you enjoy the difficulty you enjoy enjoy your time on the virtual hardwood yeah, and lastly, I want to thank everybody for responding to that prompt. Uh, we had so many different responses, again, from people that follow me, people that don't follow me, etc. Like it just showed up on their feed, the, the question and whatnot. And this is for my D for Free Gaming channel, which only which has a very small follower count because I just created that channel recently. Um, it has a much sm- smaller follower count. Um, in comparison to my main D for three account, and we're just getting all of these great responses and people interacting with the show. So I want to thank all of you. Indeed, thank you so much for all the responses. We will continue to put out that mailbag prompt each and every week. You can also write into the show, hit us up on our socials, which we will mention shortly, or email us at podcast at mba-live.com. But with that being said, that has brought us to the end of episode number 414 of the NLC podcast. We thank you for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed the show. The podcast comes out every Sunday on the NLSC, which is mba-live.com, of course. You can also tune in on all the major podcatching apps and platforms, such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Podcast Addict, just to name a few. And of course, if you are subscribed to us on YouTube, which you absolutely should be, we also post the show there. And since it is that time, Derek, what are your socials and any of the final thoughts this week? No, thank you for you know all the answers to the mailbag question, but also for your submissions for the NLC Top 10 plays of the week. Um, keep them coming. Uh, you can reach me at d for 384 on Twitter or at d for 3 g I'm most active on that platform. You can also reach me on the NLSC. I'm d for 3 over there. I'm a team member. And I'm also on YouTube, d for 3 Once again, I am Andrew in the forum and Andrew NLSC on Twitter. The NLSC is on Twitter and Facebook at the NLSC. We are NLSC Basketball on Instagram, on YouTube, we are NBA Live Series Center, and of course, keep it locked to the NLSC itself, nb-live.com, for everything we do for basketball video games. But yes, that's all for this week, so thank you once again for tuning in. Until next time, I'm Andrew. And I'm Derek. Go get buckets, everyone.